All right, so here's our uh, first podcast. Um, Steve and I, we made a post a couple weeks ago on Facebook and um, someone commented, hey, you guys should do a podcast. I would listen to it. And I guess Steve and I had kind of been tossing this idea back and forth for a while and here it is, huh? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good ones out there already, but adding more information to the pot always is good. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I feel like... uh, a lot of like, there's a lot of handlers and a lot of um, even just normal dog people out there that uh, are are just interested in learning more and hearing different ideas. And like you said, there's really good podcasts out there already, but why not add a little bit more to the pot? Um, yeah, I think it's a good way we can like get more people that we've trained with before that we look up to or that we think has some really good knowledge to offer that maybe other podcasts haven't brought on and we can get them on here and um, not only share the knowledge that we have and that we've gained through the years of training and stuff, but also a lot of other people that are really skilled and talented that uh, have a lot to bring to the table that they can share. Yeah. Um, so I guess just a little bit about us. Um, I'll talk about myself first. Uh, I'm Ricky, Ricky Rivera. Um, I've been training dogs for a while now, almost 10 years. Um, and uh, I really, really um, enjoy working specifically with, uh, police dogs, um, and putting all my, uh, dog training knowledge towards them. Um, I think that's a big thing in the industry is, uh, you know, people try to separate police dog training, like it's its own thing, but at the end of the day, dog training is dog training. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll probably go in a little bit more into detail about this. Um, but go ahead, Steve. Yes. I'm Steven Leitzel. Um, again, I just like Ricky been training dogs for about 10 years, started when I was uh, 12 years old with a German Shepherd. I think that's kind of a common thread among people that get into police dogs. It seems like it's either they started out with like hunting dogs or they did like guide dogs for the blind or they had like the family German Shepherd that they wanted to learn how to train. Um, so I was fortunate enough that the dog had some level of drive. It was nothing spectacular at all, but I had enough drive that I could at least do some sort of uh, training with it and a little bit of protection work. Um, was training with some folks that had some connections to some police trainers. Um, and so I would go out there. They were uh, willing to let me come out and bring my dog out, um, started learning how to decoy for them. And, and from there, it sort of just grew. Um, and then I met Ricky, and we kind of came from a little different backgrounds. I came from, you know, sort of the, the older school police dog training that didn't really have the modern obedience aspect. And Ricky came from a background that was uh, – very highly skilled in that and I think when we met that we both had you know a little different ideas but then quickly realized hey we got these these nice dogs that sometimes that old school training really doesn't work on very well why don't we try to use some modern training techniques with these dogs and work smarter not harder and I think he and I just basically grew together through that process of working with these types of dogs and um, you know it's just kind of grown from there and then been fortunate to work with a lot of really high-level people as well, um, hopefully some of whom we'll have on the podcast. But uh, today we're going to talk about um, selection, which is kind of the baseline, our, in our opinion, for uh, all of police dog training. If you don't have a good dog to start off with, you are going to really struggle and, and you're never going to, even no matter how good your training is, you're never going to get the same product that you could have had if you started out with something that's genetically uh, genetically gifted. So. Definitely. I mean, I think if you've met Steven or I, or you talk to us or you've trained with us, you know that we really harp on genetics and selection. 
Um, and those two go hand in hand for sure. Um, and, you know, like Steve said, you're never going to get to that A1 level if you don't have the genetics to start with. We can only bring the training as far as the genetic allows, right? Um, so the genetics is really, really, really important. Um, and I think this kind of leads into, uh, uh, like, a lot of problems that we see in the industry. Um, we definitely see a lot of issues in the industry with, like, uh, you know, ba really basic, um, like, genetic uh, uh, downfalls problems. Yeah. Problems that root from, from gen like basic, like genetic, uh, things that we would look for in a dog. Um, and that is really something that bothers us a lot because it's actually really simple. And if people understood the idea of selection and understood what they were looking at when they selected a dog, so many issues that we see in the industry today wouldn't even be a, a problem. Yeah, I think another bit along with that, a big issue is that police departments go to uh, a vendor and they know, the vendor knows for a fact that that police department is taking home a dog that day and that basically just lays your, lays your cars on the table that the vendor knows, hey, they're taking a dog home, so we don't need to show them our best dogs, right? But if you go there with that mentality of more than likely we're going to walk away from this deal, uh, you know, you need to have that mentality because a lot of dogs are not cut out for this work, even though they're being advertised as such, right? Like there's just some simple, simple things you can do. It doesn't, you don't even have to be a super knowledgeable dog person to at least get a better understanding of some of the testing of these dogs. Um, for example, something basic is taking a dog to Home Depot and walking it through and seeing, does the dog spook out when it sees forklifts? Does it, you know, someone kicks a bucket over and it spooks. Those, that's a really, really basic test. It's nothing crazy, but if your police dog can't pass that, that's not a police dog. You know what I mean? That, that's a pet. That's a, that's a nerve bag. Um, and so I, we see that a lot. And when people go, they, they uh, you know, the vendor maybe shows them the dog playing with a ball. Okay. Okay, great. He has ball drive. And then they give the dog a bite on a sleeve. Okay, great. He bites. And that's the extent of their test. They put the dog in their car and they go home and they start their handler course a week later. Um, and so, you know, and it's no fault, it's no fault to the agency per se, or especially not to the handler. Cause they just don't know any better. You know, if you don't, if you don't know what you're looking at, you're, it's easy to be fooled. So that hopefully that was something we'll be able to help with this podcast a lot is educating people that maybe just don't know because for the past 30 years of their agency, uh, they've always had dogs like that. They're used to having dogs that have five failures on the street before they actually bite, And they think that's acceptable. And, and, it's not to say that police dogs won't have failures sometimes, but that should be the exception to the rule, not the norm. Exactly. 100%. Um, and so I think we're going to uh, elaborate a little bit more on how we feel about selection or what we do in the actual specifics of, of, of a selection. Um, so I think, you know, there's a million ways to skin a cat and it definitely comes down to, um, it definitely it's the same with selection and even steve and i we don't necessarily have um you know a system or a program that we use for selection we kind of just go off of what we're feeling um in that moment with the dog in front of us um would you agree Steve? yeah de there's definitely uh a lot about once you've seen enough dogs you get a you can someone can pull a dog out of a crate and this is, obviously doesn't mean the dog is going to be great but you can get a pretty good like ooh. I think that one looks like, a, let's test him further. And then there's some you pull out of the crate and you're like, you can just put that one back. Obviously, 
you're not you're not going to do this off of just a gut feeling you're going to put the, the hours in to make sure the dog's good but um probably i think we can we go into our little bit about our selection test the first thing for sure is sociability it's not necessarily always that you have to get a social police dog but the reason at least i am personally really big on having social dogs is i believe that that's directly related to the dog's confidence 100 percent and you know this is something we tell our pet clients too that they have maybe a fearful dog or a dog that's reactive that that's always based in some level in fear you know the the take for example like you know your aunt's golden retriever he's not really afraid of anything and he's very happy and outgoing and loves everybody versus you know someone's german shepherd that's their pet that has you know it's it gets scared of a fire hydrant and then it gets scared of a tall man wearing a baseball cap right all those things you know, people think they're rooted in bad experiences, but in reality, it's just the dog is defensive and it manifests in fear. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to, I mean, I guess we can go into like drive compositions and stuff like that. But when it comes to drives, no matter what anyone says, Steve and I both truly believe that aggression is always, or defense or whatever you want to call it, is always a, um, a symptom of fear. Uh, it, it, you can't everybody likes to have the idea that their dogs are forwardly aggressive and like their dogs are aggressive because they're an asshole or whatever they want to say but in reality your dog is aggressive or defensive due to an underlying fear due to an underlying uh, an underlying level of uncomfortableness um so when i see a dog that is being aggressive towards anyone and everyone or the dog is, is, is being defensive of its handler around other people and stuff. I directly see that attached to the dog's level of confidence and that confidence kind of the thing when it comes to nerve and confidence where, you know, everybody wants to have their own definitions, but to me, they're very, very similar things. Um, but when, when it comes down to nerve and confidence and those type of things, um, it, it kind of, it goes across the board. You know what I mean? It's not just like the yeah. dog is confident in one setting and not in the other. Typically dogs are going to uh, be, if they're not confident in one, in one situation or in one sort of setting, they're not going to be, there's another type of setting that they're not going to be confident either. I don't even know if that freaking makes sense, but yeah. what I'm trying to say is like, if the dog's not social, there's a high, I've noticed that there's a high chance that the dog might have nerve issues with some sort of weird surface or some weird um, environment, something, it, it, some sort of pressure from the decoy. It, it, oh, there's strings attached. You know what I'm saying? Yes, uh, definitely. It, it doesn't just show in one spot and not in anywhere else. So, um, sociability, and when it comes down to it, in this day and age, it's really, really important that a police dog is social because most departments are uh, need the police dog and use the police dog as a uh, um, a tool to connect with the community. Now, I don't necessarily think that. Uh, everyone should uh, be letting their police dogs be pet by citizens, and um, should be pimping out the police dog as a as a as a um, I don't PR know toy. Yeah, as a PR toy. But it, the reality of it is, in this day and age, it happens, and um, it's got to be done sometimes. Um, and on top of it, uh, a good social dog is a dog you can trust around your team. You know what I mean? The, 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 one of the shittiest things is when your dog bites a team member and it's no fun, then the team doesn't trust the dog. They get worried. What happens when people are worried around dogs? They get bit more because they start flinching. They start acting weird. So having a nice social dog 
usually means that the dog would be confident and going to be clear, but it doesn't mean that, you know, the dog that's going to get pet from everybody is the one that you want. Um, this is just a, a small factor that we look at in the pie um, when we're choosing a dog. Uh, not to say that every social dog is going to be um, confident because that's not true at all either. Um, it, it's just a, a piece of the pie that we look at. And you'll notice that all these little things that we bring up in the next couple minutes are going to be, um, uh, uh, they all cohesive. They, they all need to be uh, in the dog for us to want to select the dog. We're not going to select the dog based on just sociability. If the dog's not social at all, but it fills all the other blanks, then I'm for sure going to be more interested in that dog than a dog that's just social, but is missing a lot of other stuff. Definitely. And that's not to say like, this, this is our like ideal police dog. And this is the, only type of dog that we select that we're going to discuss that that's when we buy a dog what the, the things that we're going over that's what we look for and if it doesn't meet those we don't buy it but that's not to say that we haven't trained a lot of dogs that someone may have bought from someone else that maybe were defensive um you know maybe had a little bit of issues and we got them to be successful on the street maybe even after they've had some failures and they said hey we, we got problems can you help us and and we were successful with that but again that's that's the whole point of this is that we're, we're looking for a dog that doesn't need those, that help, right? We're looking for a dog that, that uh, brings it all to the table and all we got to do is just sculpt it. And usually that just comes down to like control scenarios, things like that, not having to like coax them to bite or, you know, coax them uh, across the threshold into a dark room. Those are things we don't want to have to deal with. But um, obviously, you know, if, if we're presented with it, as a, as a trainer, we will, but right now we're talking more about, you know, as a, uh, a vendor or a police department going to another vendor, what you should look for in your selection. So just to keep that in mind, we're not, we're not saying that, you know, your police dog that's had 20 street fights, that's defensive is garbage. We're just saying that's not necessarily what we would have looked for, uh, in the beginning. doesn't mean that they can't sometimes do the job. It's just, uh, their strings attached. Like Ricky said. Yeah. hundred percent. I think on, on, uh, the, this, another thing that's – this is probably the most important thing when it comes down to selection for, for Steve and I is nerve. And the reason why it's so important because I don't give a shit how much prey drive or how much aggression or how much – how confident or how social a dog is if the nerve sucks. The ner nerve is the base of a police dog. Why? You're going to throw a police dog in a million different situations and the dog needs to perform. If the dog doesn't have good nerve, it's not going to perform. If your dog doesn't have good nerve, he's not going to take pressure from a decoy. If your dog does not have good nerve, you're not going to be able, you're not, you're not going to be able to trust it uh, like, like you need to. Um, it's, it's, it's really the bread and butter, the base, the cornerstone of a police canine. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. We've had, you know, people, Hey man, I took my dog in. it was his first deployment. Uh, and they threw a bang into the, into the room and my dog completely tried to back out of his collar. And ever since then, he's been, uh, you know, scared of loud noises. That's a nerve issue, right? That's, and, and, and that's a, a severe genetic downfall. Um, and another thing to keep in mind with nerve, when, you, when your police dog encounters something on the street, he's got to do it the first time and he's got to do the, the first time with 100%. Something you'll hear a lot of people say that I, uh, I, I happen to strongly disagree with is, oh, well, my dog startled, but he recovered really quickly. Well, 
We don't have time for that. We don't have time for a dog to recover. If you, if someone throws, you know, uh, like for example, that, that situation I gave earlier, uh, they threw a bang in and you got to send your dog in after that. There's no time. There's no five seconds for you to, Oh wait, my dog's trying to back out of his call or he's trying to go back to the car. Let me wait till he settles back, pat him up, jack him up and then cut him into the room. That five uh, seconds of your dog recovering is the all the only five seconds that suspect needs to kill you. Yeah. And game over, you missed it. Now the dog's thinking about something else that he, maybe you do get him through the door, but he goes in and he doesn't bite the guy because he's so preoccupied and stressed out about everything else going on around him. So, uh, that's why nerve is so important. So how would and, you test nerve, Steve? Um, so it kind of goes into like in a couple different, uh, a couple different aspects of how I would test it. Um, because I think, I think you can see the dog's nerve through environmental testing and through the bite work. So, so we were I, personally, we link nerve to environmental soundness. To some extent for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But that being said, you can still have a dog that environmentally is rock solid. Like I had a female that had absolutely great environmentals, wicked hunt, but you'd put her on a bite and just the nerves were all over the place. Right. So, you know what I'm saying? If, if, if you ha you have a dog that's good in an environment, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have a weak nerve, right? We gotta, we gotta test it in a couple different aspects out of drive and in drive. Right. Yeah, for me, nerve is, Anytime I see the dog uh, uh, uncomfortable, that's nerve for me. Um, so, you know, some dogs, you'll, you'll be walking them and, and they'll see something that kind of freaks them out and you just kind of see them stiffen up and they kind of go in slow. They, I call it like leaving their body behind. They kind of do like a little turtleneck thing where they put their neck out and then they make contact with whatever they're a little scared of and they kind of like pop back when it touches them. Like that, th those are kind of little things that I look for for nerve. And then nerve and bite work is also – um, very similar, and we'll go into more detail on that in a, in a minute here. But um, that those are the kind of things that I'm, I don't want to see any hesitation. I don't. I want the dog to kind of just go in carefree, not even giving a shit about anything in the world. Um, you know, head up, tail up, chest out, and just enjoying themselves. You know, doing doing their thing. Um, anything yeah. other than that is 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 probably going to be a sign of nerve. And nerve is one of those things that it's hard to give every dog portrays nerve a little bit differently. So it's hard to give like very specific um, details on that, but like any sort of the, the easiest way for me to explain it is any sort of hesitation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like for a, a handler that's going to look at five dogs from a vendor, this is like the, the first thing I would do is after, after you get the dog out of the crate, if you can't pull the dog out of the crate yourself, let's just go to the next dog because that's not to say that, Oh, you know, some, some guys may be like, Oh, well, you know, the dog is, is tough. He doesn't want to be grabbed by the collar, blah, blah, blah. That's all good and well. If, if you're that type of guy that wants to type of dog, have fun, knock yourself out. But not me. In, 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 yeah, not, to, not me in today's age, let's get a dog we can work with. That dog is going to be, maybe he's a monster. Maybe he really will bite people, but he's going to be a pain to train. So let's get a dog that, uh, you can pull out of the crate. You, the, the guy that's brand new that can go get the dog out of the crate can take it into Home Depot, can take it to your, uh, you know, your city corp yard, wherever you guys are doing the testing. But remember, don't let someone pull out a uh -oh. ball of food. Nothing to hey. stimulate the dog at all. Hey, go back a little bit. We lost you for a second. You said remember. Oh, I just said, uh, remember, do not stimulate the dog's drive at all. 
when you're testing the environmentals. Really important so, here. Do not bring the dog into drive. Why do we not bring the dog into drive? Because if you bring the dog into drive, drive will mask uh, an environmental issue, right? You throw a ball into a dark room, the dog has nuts, is crazy for the ball. Throw the ball into the room, the dog chases it, all's good. You take the dog out of that drive, out of, out of drive, and you bring him back in that room, all of a sudden he's slinking around, you, you know, kick the garbage can from behind him and he's, he's jumping out of his skin. Right. Um, so very important, bring the dog in and, and we, and like Ricky said, we want to see the dog being very, very open. Like Carefully. he doesn't care about anything. You walk him into the room, you tap on a table and he jumps on it just for the hell of it. Like that's what we want to see because, uh, that's a dog that's very confident, right? You tap on something, you, you tap on a tube, a big open tube, and he just runs in there just, just to check out what's going on. That's what we want to see. Very, very open, confident, and uh, environmentally sound. Just to elaborate a little bit on what Steve said, now that we're talking about environmental soundness, um, which is a third factor in what we look for in a police canine. Um, a really big, like, we don't want to bring the dog in a drive. Like Steve said, prey masks drive. I mean, prey masks environmental, like, uh, issues. Does that make sense? And what happens is um, your dog's want for the ball is going to bring him over that situation. But here's the problem. When your dog's hunting, he's not in prey. And those are the moments that when, where, where uh, you'll see the nerve pop through is during the hunt. And the suspect or a decoy or some sort of reward is not always going to be in the picture. So we need a dog that's confident going in those situations without having something to motivate him. The dog shouldn't yeah. need a motivator to get through a situation because when your dog's hunting and he goes into that low light restroom with white tile, there might not be someone there at the end, but the dog needs to go there and check or he not, might yeah. not be able to see it from the door, but he needs to be able to go under the stalls and go through all that shit to find the suspect. We shouldn't be able, we shouldn't have to get the dog used to it or have to have something to motivate the dog to get through. Um, you, you don't want to get a dog that, that, that you need to mask stuff with, um, especially like when it comes to like a confidence issue or some sort of environmental issue. Um, really, 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 you want to avoid a dog that you're going to have to need to work on it with or mask uh, that sort of stuff. It's just not fun. And those are the dogs that we tend to see have failures um, because they're already worried about the environment and then they find a suspect and then that, that combination makes the dog what we call like nerve out and back out of the situation because they're not like interested in that. Um, and you know, yeah. trainer, there's lots of trainers out there and we'll, we'll probably do a separate podcast on like building a dog. Um, but, uh, uh, there's lots of trainers out there. that will be like, Oh, we can just work through it. Uh, we can just, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get, we'll show the dog in training the situation over and over and over. But we want that dog that's going to do it the first time and the first time only anything other than that is 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 uh is subpar yeah subpar and why would you why would you want to limit yourself with a dog that you have to do those things with when you can have a dog you don't have to even worry about that that you know yeah man anytime anywhere i take my dog he's confident like what, what do you mean what do you mean scared of slick floors that's that's preposterous my dog is confident about everything that's what you want to have right because it's unpredictable where you're gonna have to put your dog and when you put him somewhere you need to perform and that's why for me nerve and environmental soundness they go hand in hand. And I think they're equally as important because you can have a, a beast that's, you know, comes from a KMPV club. He's a hard hitter. He's social. He's confident. He's got super intense, full grips, all these great things. Right. But you put him on a slick floor and all of a sudden 
you know, the screws pop out and you got all kinds of problems. So, so that, that kind of, you talked about, uh, environmentals, how to, how to test those briefly. So basically, you know, you want to get your dog slick floors, open stairs, shower curtains, uh, just anything you can think of. And like open, just, open floors, like open, like flooring yeah. you can look through. That's really hard. Um, yeah. Yeah. Elevated walkways, like just anything you can think of, um, put them through it. Right. And the dog should, the dog should perform without any stimulus from a ball or food. Or if you, if the, if the dog doesn't want to do it on his own and you even need to coax him by like pulling on his collar and trying to get him to do something, you might want to think twice. I'm not saying that, you know, obviously you can have a super environmental sound dog, but then you get him on a super, super steep staircase. It's just challenging for him to walk up period that he might have some trouble, but remember the difference between him actually having environmental issues and just having a hard time walking up something real steep. There's a very big difference, right? And at the end of the day, test all environmental, um, all environmental ish or what do you call it? Like I, I want to test all the environmentals out of drive. That's the most important thing. If you take anything from this episode, take this test environmentals out of drive. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. I kind of touched on this and I, we, I really want to expand on this. Uh, the fourth thing that Steve and I really, really look at is hunt. Um, and some people, uh, put hunt with prey, whatever. I've seen plenty of dogs that have insane prey drive and weaker hunt. Um, so I'm going to put hunt as its own thing. Um, hunting behavior is really one of the most important attributes and it's really essential, uh, you know, for police canine work because at the end of the day, why do we have the dog? Because the dog is a locating tool. Um, the dog is, can use their nose where we can't, uh, see or, um, in, in situations where, uh, the suspect might be hiding out of, you know, plain sight. Um, and it, it's really going to help keep uh, the officer safe at the end of the day. So the hunt is really, really, really important. Um, and uh, I think it's something that also people don't look at. Um, and uh, we're, we're pretty big on that. And we've, we've bought some dogs in the past that have weaker hunt and we really uh, want people to learn from our mistakes because it's really a pain in the ass trying to do anything with a dog that is not going to hunt. Um, the dog could have the most monstrous grips in the world. The dog could have the most, the best, uh, environmentals, the best nerve, all this sort of stuff. If he doesn't have a lot of hunt, Oh man, it's going to be a hard work to make that dog successful as a police canine. Um, and that's kind of why we talked a little bit earlier about all the pieces of the pie matter. This is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Hunt. Because think about like when your dog has been searching on a perimeter for a long time, he, it needs to come from within him the desire to hunt, right? You always see, you know, that people make their announcement, they send the dog in the first 30 seconds with pretty much any dog that has some drive is going to look pretty good. But what happens when it's been an hour and you're still asking your dog to search? That needs to come from within him. It shouldn't have to come from you patting his back. That's one thing I'm really big on is like, you know, he'll praise him up, praise him up, praise him up, get him jacked, get him in the car. Like, again, that's, that's fine. If you're having to build a dog, I'm not saying that's wrong, but do you want a dog? Do you have to pat his back to get him to do his job? Or do you want a dog that does it with gusto? We want a dog that does it with gusto. And that goes for hunting, especially, um, you know, the dog, the dog that hunts with intensity is more likely to contact the decoy contact the suspect with intensity than the dog that after, 
a minute or two just seems like he's out to lunch, you know, sniffing, taking a shit in the middle of the search, stuff like that you see all the time. A dog that has intense hunt, you're not going to see them doing that, right? Unless you haven't let the dog out all day and then that's a handler error. But um, hunt's very important. And then obviously it goes without saying, if you're going to have a dual purpose dog, which a lot of agencies go towards just because it's a, you know, cost efficient um, investment, you obviously need a dog with hunt, right? People always have these dogs they get that real low in the hunt and they say, oh, well, we're going to send them to tracking school or we're going to send them to narcotic school without even really looking at, does this dog even have the hunt to do that work? So usually when we're testing hunt, we're going to use a ball or some sort of toy that the dog enjoys. Um, I really like to, uh, to, to, one of my favorite things to do is literally just throw a toy or a ball or whatever in a field, uh, a grass field, and just watch the dog work. Um, you'll see um, how committed a dog is or how much hunt a dog has when you do something as simple as this. Um, and it, literally hunt is one of the easier things to test because they either got it or they don't like there, there, there's no if, ands or buts. If the dog's going to hunt, he's going to hunt. Um, so you can, you know, put a ball on a broom, put a ball in, and, and all sorts of uh, weird environments. Um, if the dog is going to hunt, he will hunt. And 99.9% .9 of dogs that hunt that hard for a ball, if they have the correct prey drive, they're also going to hunt like that for a man. Um, obviously that's something different. You might want to test that, um, on, on, uh, test that separately. But, uh, for most, uh, dogs, I'm going to be testing the hunt, uh, like with, with just a toy or a ball. Um, yeah. If this, if it, if it's a type of dog that Steve and I look for, uh, it, it, it all goes hand in hand. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So another thing to keep in mind is it's not just, yeah, I hear this a lot and people will say, Oh, the dog, you know, damn dude, this dog, I, I threw the ball and he just had a great nose on him. Like he, his, he had a great nose. He goes out there and his head's in the grass and he's walking around sniffing it. And when I, when someone says that, the thing that comes to my mind is a dog that's like, he wants to take a piss. Yeah, he's out there sniffing around. There's a ball, there's piss, there's shit, and he's just kind of just sampling all of them. What yeah. you want to look for? He's testing. To, yeah, he's taste testing. He's like, oh, tennis ball, cool. That's the same dog that's going to like have the ball, walk over a pile of shit, and then drop the ball and sniff the shit, which is that would be a fail, right? Um, but what you, what you want to see, and even more important than how fast the dog finds a ball, because to me, that has some it's that's kind of irrelevant it's, it's more important how is the dog searching for the ball is he searching like his hair's on fire that's what we really want to see we'll, we'll take a dog with less less than that if they're if they're active and they and they're intense about it but the ideal picture perfect dog he's got a firecracker in his ass and he is going 100 miles an hour he looks like a like a printer you know like the, the, the thing on the printer when it's going real fast just zigzagging back and forth in that scent cone looking for the ball that's what you want to see intensity right all these things it go, even goes back to like uh environmental testing you bring the dog into a room and he's just jumping on the table because he wants to because it's something to do a dog that's just you look at him and you're like whoa that dog's intense that's what we like to see right um and if anything if anybody tries to bullshit you and tell you that the dog needs to be built or their hunt drive needs to be built, they're lying. Uh, Stokes, yeah. Steve and I have eight week old puppies and they don't lie. You can see Steve's little puppy. How old is your puppy now, Steve? Uh, like 15 weeks. Okay. 15 weeks. And this sucker hunts like, sh like her hair is on fire all day long. So shout out to Seth Morzowski for this puppy. It's a, it's a Norton daughter. 
one of the one of the one of the most i think it no 100 percent sure it is the most intense puppy i've ever seen in my life i mean yeah. the, there is no lie when when it comes down to this this dog uh is the is the proof of genetics and it's they it, got it or they don't they got it or they don't from birth yes from, from birth, birth. Yeah. um but I mean, hunt is great. Hunt is, is, is really, really necessary and it's genetic. So test your dog hard for that. It's really important for police work. And I like, I, this, this is different than, you know, for most police officers, most police officers are looking at, you know, 12 month old or older dogs, but you know, like with the puppies, like, and, and same thing, actually same thing goes for a 12 month old dog. Cause you'll hear this from vendors, you know, like I get a, a puppy and he's four months old and his hunts real low. I I've stuck it out. I've been there. You know, people always say, Oh, stick it out, wait and see, you we've know, done. and we've been there. We've, we've waited it out till the dog's a year old or more and it doesn't change. And if it does change from a, from kind of flat to whatever, it's not going to go from flat to the insane intense desire to hunt that we want to see, right? That I've never seen a dog go from just, you know, blase to intense. And you'll hear that from vendors. They'll say, oh, well, you know, you're comparing these two dogs. This one's two and a half and this one's 12 months. Uh, you know, you need to give this 12-month-old time. And that's not to say that there aren't differences that, you know, dogs change from 12 months to two and a half. But if it's going to be a police dog at 12 months old, it should be rocking and rolling. 100%. I know plenty of very talented trainers that have put 12-month-old dogs on the street and, and they have street bites and they're, they're you know, doing really good so yeah i i put i have personally trained a dog that went on the street at 11 months old and that dog got bites right out the gate so you can't lie to me and tell me that age is 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 uh, you got to wait the dog out if the dog is 10 8 the dog needs to be ready you have no excuse if the dog's yeah. not ready because he's too young or whatever then don't fucking put him on the street that's bullshit and we yeah, get and i are very very serious about this sort of stuff but yeah, I think so if you if you've if your dog has passed certification, passed patrol school, and your trainer is telling you, well, he's young, he's got these problems, he's young, he's young, you need to give him time, then tell then say back to them, and why the hell do you have me on the street with this dog that ain't fucking ready? Yeah, that's wrong. That's criminal. That's criminal, hundred percent. Um, the last thing that we like to test in a dog is the bite work. And the reason why I test it last, because if I let Steve test it first, he would test it first every time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ahead, That's not true. That's not true. Uh -huh. No, I, I, I do. I do enjoy testing the bite work. It's fun. But the reason not to test it first is all those other things got to be in place. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of testing the bite work first. We've been Falling, there. Yeah. Falling We've in love with holy trap. shit. He's a badass dog. He hits hard. He's got nice grips. Damn, this dog is gonna wreck people. And then, you know, you you fall in love. He's sold. Yeah, he's sold. You take him back, and the vendor's like, "All right, he's sold." You take him back, and all of a sudden, he just starts shitting the bed at everything else. That's gonna suck, right? You, you, the 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 hard hitting dog that looks nice on the grass field or even in a building is gonna get real old when you realize. Uh, this dog is scared of his own shadow. That's not fun. That's going to be a world of hurt. And there's a lot more that goes into it than the bite work. So that being said, so that, that's why, that, that's why you want to test everything else first. Cause you can get a pretty good idea too. Like if you've tested all those other things first, you've gotten a pretty, you spent a lot of time with this dog more than likely. You know, you've, you've, you've put in hopefully hours, maybe even days of testing into this dog 
And now you're getting to the bite work and you say, okay, you got a pretty good idea of what this dog's going to be like, you know, and, and, and maybe the dog does seem to have one or two little things. Maybe you're not quite sure about in the bite work, but it's still pretty nice overall. But you say, Hey, he's got all these other aspects that we really, really, he really excelled in and he's going to do the job. It does not to say that you should take a dog that's uh, subpar, but maybe, you know, maybe he's not the, maybe he's nice. He has good grips. He has good nerve in the bite work, but he's not the hardest hitter right? Whatever. That's, we'll, we'll just forego that, right? As long as he comes in nice, as long as he's not, you know, like super slow, um, we'll, we'll take him, right? So you've, you've got a, a really good baseline before you test it. But that being said, um, Ricky, you want to talk a little bit about some of the first couple things we test when we look at the bite work? Yeah, hundred um, percent. We probably should have mentioned this a little bit earlier, um, but uh, when we were talking about nerve, um, but I really, one thing that Steve and I have really t- come around to start uh, testing is what we, what we call boogeyman, or some people call it stakeout. What are some other words? Steve? Um, sorry, you, you were cutting in and out a little bit. You're talking about the like the stakeout test. Yeah, I said one like one thing that uh, we probably should have talked about a little bit earlier when we were talking about nerve and stuff like that. But one thing that we have come around to test more and more is, is definitely like the, what we're calling boogeyman or other people call stakeout. Or I was saying, what, what, what else have you heard it been called? Yeah. The boogie, the boogeyman test, stakeout, tie out, um, all those things you're, you're cutting in and out a little bit. I don't know if you're, um, working on a speaker or something, but, um, yeah. So the boogie, the boogeyman test, um, and that's, you know, that's basically testing the dog. How confident is he by himself? Right. Um, is he going to, and that also looks at, is this dog going to go when he's challenged, is he going to go into prey or is he going to go into defense? So the way we do it, um, and everyone, you know, does it a little bit differently, but you can hopefully get the same sort of outcome. Person goes out, ties the dog out to a stakeout on a flat collar, uh, on, you know, you know, 10 foot, 15 foot line, whatever, um, dogs out, dogs by himself. Then you have the decoy come out from you know, a building behind a car or whatever from a pretty good distance, probably, uh, you know, maybe even, maybe even a hundred yards. That's a little, that can be a little excessive, but up to that's fine. The whole goal is you approach very slowly to this dog from a distance, right? And that's that spookiness that you're bringing is the goal is to see, are we going to invoke a fight or flight response in this dog, right? Is he going to go into defense or is he going to see me as a prey object? We want the dog to see the decoy as a prey object, even though he's approaching in a very, very slow manner that in most dogs would invoke a defensive response. You agree? hundred percent. Yeah. So approach the dog very, very slowly. You're not wearing equipment. Why are we not wearing equipment? Because equipment immediately will put most dogs that have seen it into prey. We want the person to just be wearing uh, regular clothes, or if you want to go for it, put like, uh, I've seen people do it, you know, they put a, a, like a tarp around themselves, something to, you know, obscure their, their figure even more. Um, approach the dog very slowly and you can do it. You can either do this civilly or I've done it with like a, a very, very low profile concealed sleeve on. Um, and I'll have like something in my hand, maybe like an, like an umbrella or something. And I'm going to approach the dog very, very slowly. And, and I want to try to like get in a dog's head and, and see what, what he's doing. Right. If I see the dog starting to kind of spook out at that point, you kind of, you don't know, sometimes, sometimes with this test, you don't even necessarily need to do it to completion because you can get a really good idea of what the dog's looking like 
before you even get up close to him, right? But for the sake of, of explaining the whole thing, you approach the dog very slowly. And then what I like to do is right as I get near the dog, I'm getting in his space. I like come alive very aggressively at him. Maybe I, I pop open the umbrella towards his face. So it creates a loud opening and a startle. And then maybe I offer the dog the chance to bite the concealed sleeve. And then I want to see what the dog's going to do. We want to see the dog splayed at the end of the leash, pulling as hard as he can towards me, not once he's on the bite, pulling towards me as hard as he can. And when I offer him that bite, he takes it without hesitation, immediately takes a full hard bite. And he's not trying to scramble his back feet away from me. He's not trying to spin away. I want to see him just immediately bite and immediately be biting with intensity and with confidence. Yeah. When it comes down to stuff like, like, like this boogeyman stuff, it's really important. It needs to be worked slow. Lots of people try to rush into it. Movement creates prey. So you need to go very, very slow. This is going to show you a lot of holes in the dog. Um, personally, I would never take a dog that would fail a test like this, but it's not the end all be all for sure. Um, we, you know, uh, but um, it's really, really important. It's really going to give you a good picture of when the dog's put in a very uncomfortable situation. Uh, it's going to give you a good picture of what the dog's going to do in a situation like that. So um, it's, it's really interesting. And even this is something we'll do in maintenance training or when we go out and do a class and we've seen so many dogs fail situations like this, even dogs that have 20 bites or whatever. Um, it, you're really, really, really surprised to see how, a lot of dogs take uh, uh, something like this. Yeah. A friend of ours, hopefully we'll have him on the show. He one time said, actually he said this a lot. He goes, just because your dog has street bites doesn't mean that he's super, super strong. Don't confuse your luck of having someone that's just always been laying down or running away and not fighting your dog with uh, having a dog that actually is really, really tough and strong, right? It's like saying a cop's good just because he has this many arrests. Like, it don't work like that. So you would never do that with a cop. So why would you do that with, with the dogs? Um, yeah. Do you want to talk a little about, like, grip and what we look for in grip, see? Yeah, yeah. So um, a big thing, and, and a lot of times this gets overlooked in police dogs, and people, you know, they try to say, oh, well, you know, grip is just for sport. Well, that's really not true. And if someone says that um, – maybe don't listen to what a lot of what they have to say uh, <laughs> because grip shows a lot about the dog's nerve. Right. And, and, and don't lose sight. People a lot of times they look at the head of the dog and they look at the fullness of his grip. When I look at a dog, the first thing I look at is the dog's back feet. The first thing I look at every time is the dog's back feet. What are his back feet doing? Cause that is Shout like, out John Siggins. Yeah. Sean Siggins. I was like 14 years old and he's like at the seminar. He goes feet, every dog feet, feet, feet. And I had never heard that before. And that stuck with me. And it is never, the feet never, ever lie. A, a, a full grip can lie. Cause there's plenty of dogs that have a full, they're, they're all the way back to their molars, but they are not wanting to be there. They want so feet, back feet. And the easiest thing to look at is where's the dog's ass and where are his back feet? If his feet are on the ground, but they're tucked forward in front of his ass, and he's like, like bunny hopping or scrambling away or anything like that. Uh, he doesn't want to be there, right? The dog is pulling excessively. He wants out. Well, what's wrong what with you see? Well, pulling kind of shows that the dog uh, wants to get away from the person that he's biting. What and if to you me, to bring him to the ground? <laughs> bring him, bring him, bring him, bring him to me. Well, uh, 
you know, people think that that means that the dog's trying to win and beat the adversary, but, and, and sometimes, sometimes it can be a hard argument to, to win uh, when you're trying to talk to someone. But if you look at the whole picture of dogs that pull and then you start adding pressure to them, what happens when you have a dog that's pulling and you start to add pressure to him? He pulls more, right? And you lessen the pressure, he pulls less. Why? Because the pressure is increasing the threat to the dog from his perspective of the decoy, right? When the decoy is just sitting in a chair and he's pulling a little bit, the decoy is not being, being very threatening. He's just sitting there. But when the decoy all of a sudden raises a can over his head and actually he's going to hit him, what do you see? All of a sudden, vocalization, the dog starts to really, really pull even more because the dog wanting is wanting out of there. Versus, and so a lot of people don't know this because they've never seen dogs that have legit push bites, like legit push bites, not a dog that just kind of counters and chomps, but a dog that actually pushes forward from his back we want, feet. We want a dog using oh, a dog pushing with their entire body from their back feet into the bite, not a dog munching on the grip over and over. Yeah, not just chomping and readjusting. That's not a push bite. That's that's shit. Uh, so back feet feet behind the ass and the pushing is generating from the back feet through the dog's spine into his head and his mouth. And the reason we want to see a push bite is, you know, there's different ways that people can articulate it and whatnot and how they like it. But to me, I see a dog that is possessive. He is wanting to bite forward. He is confident. He is trying to, with everything he can, swallow the equipment, swallow the person, the whatever he's biting and get more and more and more of it. He wants it. He wants to be there and he is pushing forward. So uh, that's, that's the back feet. And then we can continue forward front feet. Again, if the feet are just neutral or they're wrapping the decoy, it's again, that possessive. I want to be here versus the feet on the decoy bracing off and pushing away. Um, and then from there we go up to the eyes, the eyes, the eyes kind of tell a lot in addition to the back feet, in my opinion, I think the two most important, uh, things to look at are the back feet and the eyes. Cause I think there are some dogs that, you know, they'll push off a little bit with the front feet. And, uh, you know, I've seen some, like some PSA dogs that do that, but that are, that are real nice. Or, um, sometimes that can actually even just be like, uh, like for instance, I have a dog that is a really nice KMPV dog and has very nice full pushing grips, but the context of being on a field, if, if you do like a, a stick attack type looking scenario, he pushes, 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 pushes. And then when the decoy turns around and freezes up like they would in the KMPV trial, the dog braces off the decoy and starts to try to go around behind him. And, and it's due to a high level of compulsion the dog has been trained with. And he's trying to, as quickly as he can, get away from the bite and get behind the decoy into the rear guard, right? So um, that being said, I think the back feet and the eyes are the most uh, important indicator. Do you want to talk about uh, what the eyes indicate and what we look for? Yeah, I definitely want I, – I, for me, the eyes show uh, what the dog is thinking. Um, and I see a lot of dogs uh, with nerve issues, and they're already pulling on the bite. And if you look at their eyes, their eyes are all over the place. You raise your hand or your arm with something, or you, you use some sort of object to put pressure. They're staring at it from the corner of their eye. Um, that It really shows what the dog's worried about. Um, at the same time, if you look at a dog with a very, very, very nice push grip, a dog that's very confident, a dog that's a monster in the, in, in the, in the bite, um, he uh, is, oh, for the most part, um, I, I kind of joke and I use the word like orgasmic with his eyes. He kind of <laughs> lost in a day, is looking forward, not even, couldn't care less, 
not making eye contact with the decoy, just just gazing, right? The dog's in his in his moment and nothing else is better or nothing's going to stop him from that in that moment. Um, and that's really, really what I'm looking for um, in the eyes. The eyes, I think it's a very small factor that not a lot of people pay attention to, but next time you work dogs, really um, take a look at it. You can see it when as a handler on the side too, but when you're working the dog, you can really, really see what's going on. The eyes tell a lot. Um, I, it really does. And I think it's really important that, um, we mentioned that when it comes to bite work, um, it's one of those things too, that it is very genetic. You know, if, if, if someone's trying to tell you that the dog needs work to improve it or this and that, I, I don't believe in that, man. Like my 12, 15, whatever week old puppy, I don't keep track, um, has got a really glorious push bite, um, and is all up in there and will bite whatever you present to him um, at freaking 15 weeks old, man. Like he's got a better grip than a lot of dogs I know on the street. Um, and he's, I, I guarantee you, he will bite someone at six months uh, the same way. But um, like he's going to go in with the same confidence that um, a seasoned, uh, really, really confident patrol dog is. is. And uh, that's all genetic. I mean, it, it, it doesn't, I, I trust me. This dog has not had a lot of work. He's probably had five bite work sessions in his life. Um, it's, it, it's all, it all comes down to the genetics. Uh, and that's kind of like been our, our kind of <laughs> our, uh, our theme this episode for sure. Yeah. Um, real quick, Steve, uh, go over some of the stuff that you actually do when, when, when we're testing the bite work. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll go over that one. One, one last little thing about like the mechanics we'll want to see is, don't get lost in people like, I want a calm push bite. Yes, that's correct. And you do want a calm push bite, but we want intensity. You see some, a lot of dogs, people are like, oh, look, man, look at how full and calm. The dog looks like he's like on Xanax and he's just sitting there like half asleep in the bite. I want that dog to be wanting to bite his, I want him biting down. I want him pushing forward. That's a dog that's going to be biting someone for real with intensity. I don't want this dog that's just kind of half asleep. You know, he's, he's biting someone behind the knee. And uh, as he's biting him behind the knee, his ass just kind of sinks to the ground and he like lays down on all fours while he's biting with the full mouth. 100%. Not good, right? So anyways, but uh, so we talked about the, the stakeout test um, a little bit. So after you've done that, we want to see um, where the dog is at in his bite work. And definitely use concealed equipment and definitely use a suit. Don't use a, don't use an exposed sleeve. You not see people sleeve. Yeah. If you're using an exposed sleeve or your trainer is using exposed sleeve, get the hell out of the eighties. Oh, okay. There are situations where I will use an exposed sleeve, but they're very, very minimal. And most of the time, 99% of the time, if I'm going to use an exposed sleeve, uh, I'm doing, uh, like equipment, like uh, sheds. Like I'm not really using exposed sleeves for much. It's not realistic at all whatsoever. Um, even at a suit is not realistic, but at least use a damn suit. It's more realistic than a sleeve. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And your dog has the opportunity to bite multiple areas. So anyway, so yeah, that is that as far as that goes, don't use a sleeve. And if the vendor tells you, well, the dog's 12 months old, he's not ready to be on a suit. It shouldn't take more than, than grabbing the dog by the collar, the decoy stimulating an area of the suit and making it come alive and then placing them on the bite to put a dog on a suit. If you, re if you require, four two you know whatever uh 
any more than that to put a dog on a suit. If you require a certain number of sessions to get a dog on a suit, let's not mess with that dog. We want the dog. Old puppy can go on exactly. a suit. Am I going to work yeah. on a suit? No. Why? Because it's not going to let me to, to, to uh, get the exact mechanics that I want out of him, but it's yeah. possible. Okay. Same, I'm not, same thing with mine. I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, the, I'm not the person to be like, Oh, my 15 week old puppy's on a suit, but he is. And it's not, I'm not going to work him on it because I can't get the exact mechanics that I want, but he is biting a suit. So if you're 12 to 15 to 18 month old green dog needs multiple sessions to get on a suit, that's a very serious issue. Yeah, that's not good. And no. to me, I'm not saying that this is a guarantee that the dog's biting for real or not going to bite for real, but think about it. If it requires your dog, if you require sessions to put your dog on new equipment, uh, what's going to happen when there's no equipment and he's never seen that before? Because no matter what you do in training, muzzles, prosthetics, concealed sleeve, whatever, you can't simulate biting a real person for real unless you literally have some dog bite someone for real. Uh, what's going to happen when he has to immediately that first time adapt and bite a person with no equipment, right? So think of, think sometimes just kind of think these things through. Just just don't let the the person who's been doing it for thirty years one way always, you know, let you clog your judgment and just use use reasoning. If I well that doesn't make sense, man. If I'm going to put take sessions to get this dog on new equipment, that's not going to translate to biting a real person, right? So, uh, anyways, that's that, that's that why. To, yeah, that, that's why we want to use suits or concealed equipment um, for testing the dog. But anyways, so uh, I really like to see uh, working the dog in a building and putting pressure on the dog before the bite. That's a big one for me. That's a really big one. You see a lot of people put the dog on a bite, swing them on their shoulder, put them into a wall, all those things. That's good. I'm not, I'm not saying that's wrong at all. I do that. I'll, you'll see me scoop up a dog you know, roll around on the ground with it, you know, put it in my guard, whatever, all the little, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu with the dog is cool. But pressure before the bite is much harder for a dog than pressure on the bite. So set up like a little, you know, in a hallway of a building, put some garbage cans down, put a table, cover it with some tarps, make it real challenging. This is testing. This is, you know, you, you, you're not invested in these dogs. This guy that's bringing them for you to buy should have already you know, if these dogs need to see things, should have already done those things. You're there to buy a police dog. So test them hard, test them hard. And if he doesn't want you to, if the person doesn't want you to test them hard, then find another person to buy your dogs from, because this is going to be in the back of your car for the next six to seven years, you know, maybe more. So and test if, them hard. If this test does enough to mentally ruin a dog, that dog's not worth the shit. Yeah. That um, dog is not worth the shit. How physically I was got to be resilient. If I, if I bring a dog for you to test and you hurt him, I'm going to be furious. That's that's wrong. But yes. if you if you mentally mess up my dog, then there's a probably a problem with that dog, and that dog probably shouldn't be in the line of police work. A hundred percent. Yeah. So, and 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 you do not have like don't don't think that we're saying you know be really hard hit and kick the dog blah blah be blah smart. blah blah. Be smart, and you can you can set up a lot of things to get into a dog's mind and shut a weak dog down without ever really physically hurting the dog, yep. right? So um, set up like a little, like I said, a little hallway, put some barricades up, uh, and then have, you know, so it's going to take the dog a little bit of time to get to you, right? Because he's going to have to n- negotiate those obstacles. Even if he's a fast dog, he's going to have to jump over, crawl through, whatever. And then I like to set up like a little, like a, a, a toolbox of toys that I got 
And as that dog's coming in, it's one after the other. So while he's negotiating this challenging obstacle, boom, cardboard box to the head, uh, boom, uh, you know, a, a one gallon water jug that's empty that's filled with, uh, you know, uh, some rice or something that's, that makes some sound. Boom, throw that at the dog, right? And then when he gets to me, um, I got a place board that I'm going to block him away with. Uh, and see how see how the dog handles it. If it's the first, if the guy says, "Oh, well, he's never he's never done offended before," where you know the person is blocking him with something, cool. Oh, that's fine. About genetics. Yeah, I want to see how he handles it. You know what I mean? I don't care if the dog hasn't learned to like dive under the place board and go to my the front of my leg. But I just want to see how is he going to handle it. Does he does he just circle me and and kind of defensively bark and is all concerned? Does he really like intently try to circle me as fast as he can and get to the bite? Like what does he do, right? The dog, the the dog doesn't have to perform perfectly as far as like executing an exercise, but he needs to show extreme confidence in that regard. So he does need to perform perfectly as far as doing the job. He just doesn't need to have the if the mechanics are off. He doesn't know how to do that's something training. very well. That's fine. That's training. That's not genetics. But if I have a place board and I've thrown something at his head, and now I'm blocking him with a place board, and he's like trying to find a way out of there immediate immediate wash do not buy that dog do not no matter what nobody says about you know well we can we can deal with that in the patrol school and, and work with that just don't negative just don't yeah don't do that so i think you can tell from what we're talking about we steve and i really put a lot on genetic um because that makes your life safer and makes your life easier at the end of the day um, yes we talked about uh, sociability. We talked about nerve. We talked about environmental soundness. We talked about hunting and bite work. All these things are linked somehow. Um, and I, you know, at the end of the day, Steve and I realized it's very, very hard to find a dog that fits all of these perfectly. Trust me, we've, we've searched high and low for dogs like this for the past couple of years. Um, and it's really hard, but we hope that you could at least take one factor from this episode and apply it to your selection process and apply it to how you think about the dog in front of you. Um, because, uh, we don't, we don't expect a perfect dog. Every single dog will have a flaw somewhere, but those flaws should be very, very minimal. Those flaws shouldn't be affecting the way, uh, the, we, those flaws shouldn't be affecting the effectiveness of the dog on the street. Yes. Uh, we, uh, there is no perfect dog. I really do think that there is no perfect dog. Steve, would you agree? I agree. And, and based off of what like Ricky said about there being holes in the dog where every dog has its issue. In my opinion, when I think of that, when I think of, a, okay, it's a police dog and he has an issue. Okay. I'm thinking maybe he's a little bit unclear. Uh, maybe he doesn't take a toy around the decoy. So we have a little bit of, uh, it's, it's a little more challenging to train him. Uh, maybe, maybe he's not um, with people. Yeah. Maybe he's not social with people, but I am not thinking oh well he spooks out do it that that's not a whole that's uh there's catastrophic. levels there's levels there, there's felonies and they're misdemeanors <laughs> yeah we want that's dogs we want dogs that their holes are infractions not even misdemeanors misdemeanor yeah. nope not a police dog yeah and and so, it really what what it comes down to is we don't expect the best we don't expect the the perfect dog but we expect the dog that at least has some sort of success in all five of these pillars um and we we really want you're like I, steve and i always make this joke your battle should be a battle for control 
not a battle to build your dog and their confidence and, uh, and, 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 and to help them bite. Does that make sense? Yes. You're, you're yes. the whole point of police canine training is to train, to train, to put control on the dogs. You should be, we, we always talk about Steve, what do you say? You should, the dog should be borderline, uh, borderline, like almost out of control, right? Just to the yeah. point where you have, uh, uh, control of that dog. But at any moment that dog's genetics could just pour through. Right. Um, yeah. So, and, and that's really important and it's impossible to get to do all these fun scenarios um, and all this crazy stuff and all these real bites and all these real apprehensions, all this stuff. It's, 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 it's really, it makes it really, really hard and really, really stressful to do all this stuff. If you don't have a dog that fills those five pillars of, of those genetic qualities that we would. A hundred percent. Yep. And, and yeah, I a hundred percent agree with all of that. And like Ricky said, your, your training time should be spent getting nice control on a dog, really nice control. Cause when you get a, a really strong dog, like what we're talking about, if it's green from a broker, you're going to have your work cut out for you. And you're not going to, this is not one of those types of dogs, like, you know, a dog that's real nervy or defensive that you're going to be able to, uh, you know, old school hit him on the head with a, with a crop and all of a sudden, wow, he outs problem solution. No, this is going to take time and it's going to take very modern finesse training. And that's the goal of this podcast is that, you know, there's some people out there that, that have really weak dogs that they're putting on the street. And, and frankly, it's probably good that they don't have really strong high caliber dogs because they'd all be out of control. And then those dogs get a bad rep because the training is really old school and just compulsive. And, and if you get a properly selected dog, you're not going to be able to just beat them up to get them to do what you want. You need to train smart. You need to train modern. Um, so I guess one, one last final thought that I have uh, is to keep in mind when you're a department going to, to buy a police dog is you get what you pay for. So if your department has a budget of $8,000, good luck because yeah. uh, the typical, not that, not that the KMPV dog is the be all end all of police dogs. There's plenty of good dogs from, uh, a variety of of backgrounds and stuff but typically our the dog that fits the, the bill for us the most is usually a KMPV dog and that's not to say at all that all KMPV dogs are police dogs because that is the furthest thing from the truth but typically we find the most dogs from the KMPV pool but you think of the average PH1 dogs going for 7500 so uh, a vendor buys that dog puts time into it so you're you're you gotta you know the police department has to be willing to pay you know, I know a lot of departments that they'll put a lot of money and effort into their SWAT team and buy, you know, night vision goggles for a part-time SWAT team that barely gets any work and all these fancy toys that they're hardly ever going to use. Robots. But their police dogs that they use on a weekly basis, they still want to pay prices that they paid in the 80s. And just like training, just like dogs, everything's evolving. Inflation. Inflation's a thing that ha and it occurs in the police dog world too. So for admin that might be listening to this, you get what you pay for. Don't so. be cheap. Don't be cheap. Yeah, I think a uh, good closing statement is choose good genetics. It'll make your life a lot easier. It'll allow you to train, not build. And you get what you pay for. Uh, yep. Don't be afraid to go to a vendor and turn around, go home with nothing instead of go home with something with go home with problems. Um, and train smarter, 
not harder. Um, and all these, I, I hope you guys were able to hang in there. We kind of brought up a lot of stuff. We kind of talked about a very big variety of things and we'll probably pick apart some of these, some of the stuff we brought up and do individual episodes with them. Um, but it's really, really important. And it's really, really close to both Steve and I's heart because we see um, the, the problems with poorly selected dogs every day. So um, it really, really is something that we think is, is uh, underrated and needs to be brought to light. It needs to be number one. Mm-hmm. selection yep. is more important than anything i agree all righty y'all we'll see you guys next time we'll do this again all right take care everybody take care